Welcome to the Pestle. Reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Nerds. Now let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to the Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by The Last Drop. Grab a drink, make a square deal, shoot some pool, and maybe some people. It's all going down at The Last Drop. <laughs> Welcome everybody to the Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is a film podcast by filmmakers, <clears throat> writers, someone still getting over a cough, apparently. We, you know, it's funny. It's so easy on the outside looking in to make a movie or to make something creative. Um, you just kind of see things happen and you don't realize all the work that goes in on the other side of it, right? Uh, behind the camera before there's ever a camera involved, right? The writing phase, uh, the casting, location scouting, um, let alone preparing everything for the day, right? Set design, uh, wardrobe, costume, makeup, sound. You got to have good sound, which means also picking the right locations so that you're not right by the airport, for instance. Planes overhead ruin so many takes. Um, and so just finding the right space and then getting everything together, let alone all the extra stuff that has to happen, like feeding people and getting them to and from the set. That's before you even get into like post-production, right? Um, or even before you get to set, you have to get approval if this is funded by someone else. You have to get it all approved by the the, the client or, you know, the the studio if, if it's being funded through a studio or like Netflix, your streamer, there's so many points of failure. And I bring that up not just because it's a it's a fun conversation point, but also because there's like this thread on the screenwriting subreddit where someone saw a uh, a pilot that they didn't like. Um, there's a new How I Met Your Mother spinoff called How I Met Your Father. And the pilot came out and they hated it, right? Which there's some fair criticism of that you know, show for sure. But most sitcoms don't start off with a bang. They take a little while to develop their characters and get into the flow of things. But even all that aside, they said, hey, I'm new to screenwriting. And I saw this pilot and I thought to myself, this is so bad. Surely I can make something better. Um, mm. Oh, that's a good one. That's good. It's so rich. Like I get that impulse because there's so much bad content out there. And the impulse is, I could make something better than if that got made, if people paid for that to get made, I could do that. I could do something better. And it just called to mind and someone immediately posted this. And I was so grateful that I didn't have to dig it up. Um, there's this old website that I've mentioned a few times on the show called word player. And it was created ages ago. This was, I came across it in like 2004 and I'd been working on screenwriting for, you know, a few years at that point. And Whenever I, I found this website, it was like breath of fresh air. Now, ultimately, I don't agree with everything and all their approaches, but there is one article they wrote that's called Crap Plus One. And it's all about how people think all they need to do is make something a little bit better than that piece of crap that they saw on TV or in the movie theater. It's like, oh, I can do that a little bit better. And the article is, is fantastic. It's a, it's a lengthy read, I guess, but um, it goes into all the ways that things can go wrong in a production. You might start with, you know, the hunt for red October uh, and, and end up with some second rate bomber movie, who knows? Um, but there's just so many points of failure. And that's what I was talking about a minute ago. Like you have no idea what happens between the moment something gets written and the time it gets released. So many things there's, uh, traditionally this idea that there's three movies that get made, the one you write, the one you shoot and the one you edit. And between each one of those, you're, you're reconfiguring everything because what you write might work well on the page. But once you get the actors on set, you start to say, Oh crap, this thing isn't really singing the way, you know, one of the two, which it may not even be the writing's fault. It might just be the cast isn't responding to the material the way you, you wanted them to. And so, for whatever reason, you know, maybe it was a bad script or maybe, you know, the, the, the day isn't, you're, you're missing one of your actors because an emergency, you know, popped up, which happens. And now you have to reconfigure everything on the fly, but regardless on the day, things are going to have to shift around one way or another in order to accommodate production. And then once you get through that, hopefully you, you make it all work on the day. Um, you get into editing and you start to say, crap. 
the pacing of the scene isn't quite working. We need to rework the scene. Either we need to go reshoot and add more content or more likely we need to cut some content because the runtime's too long or whatever. And then even beyond that, you get it all edited together. You show it to a test audience. You have a screening. The test audience is not responding, right? The jokes are falling flat. The drama, there's there's only dry eyes in the house. <laughs> like you, you just suddenly have a bunch of notes from studio execs that say, hey, this is all going wrong and we need to fix everything. Uh, and meanwhile, the, the, the auteur, me and Todd are, you know, on the other side of this, like, oh, this isn't the right audience for this. This is an art house film. And you're trying to test it, you know, for, you know, 45 year old white engineers, like this is not their movie or whatever. <laughs> so I don't know. What's your impression? Do you ever have those thoughts? Like, this is so bad. I could do better. I mean, I, I, I assume we all do. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course we have that. Uh, I have that all the time, but I think I, I try to, you know, at least make, make it selective where, where I'll actually say that out loud. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We, we all have thoughts and, and, and everything that we know we never say out loud. Cause then when you say it out loud, it makes it, makes it real. Right. So, you know, for example, a film like this, I don't think that I would say that, you know, I might think it in moments, but I saying it out loud means that I, that it means something bigger. So I don't think that I would say it out loud for a film like this, but if there are some others where I, I generally, I genuinely have like this feeling of just, you know, being so upset because it, it's, it's, it's either close to being really good and it's just, Oh man, that, how did that make it through? the edit even you know i'm sure they had a better take or something like that or the this the writing is really bad but it's so good in 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 so many other places which i guess you know speaks to what you were saying you know that article of like oh just this plus one this plus one kind of thing but i think generally when i say that it's probably because the whole film is just like not good you know and Mm. i'm just sitting here thinking like oh man i would have like this should have been scrapped or should not have been made or or how did this person get money to make this? Or, you know, what what were the studios thinking when they wanted to make this? And, you know, it's easy to say that, but then at the you gotta remember, like what you said, you know, maybe what the studio saw was not what was actually made, right? But the studio saw was, hey, this is a pretty good script. This is great. But then the script got changed throughout the process. They didn't get the actor that they wanted as, you know, the main actor. The director was sick for, you know three weeks of shooting. And so they had to have a, uh, you know, someone else or like, you know, a lot of stuff happens throughout. So there's so many pieces, but I, I try to generally not say that I just have an opinion on something, not, not saying that I could do it better, you know, but just mostly saying like, I just didn't like it, you know? Yeah, you're right. There is a big difference between saying this isn't very good and I could do it better. Yeah. Uh, there's a massive gap. And even, even mediocre or bad films can be very, very, I mean, almost all movies are hard to make. Uh, the process is so intense and so lengthy that of course there's a million ways that can go wrong, but it's still very difficult to even make the bad content. And so that movie that you think is the worst thing ever made took a lot of people, a lot of time, which isn't an excuse to not critique it. I don't think that's the way art works. <laughs> um, right. Once you put something out, uh, I'm, if, I'm sorry if it hurts people's feelings that you don't like something, but that doesn't obligate you to like it. And it's okay to say, it's okay to say that. And I think that's one of the things that bothers me a lot about the industry at large. There's writers and filmmakers who go on and discuss a film and they have nothing but praise for it when they know it's garbage. Like I just wish, you know, there was a little bit more and I get the impulse to don't be that person who rocks the boat because in this industry, you upset the wrong person and suddenly you're not getting funded or hired anymore. Uh, and that's, that's a big, tall risk, but I, I think ultimately sunlight is a really good disinfectant. If you want better content to be made, you know, and if you want people to learn from things that get made, it's okay to say, here's where it didn't work for me and why, but ultimately 
it doesn't even matter whether you like something or not. It's still really incredibly hard to make stuff. Um, and of course, we've said it, you know, at least a dozen times on the show. We have a lot of respect for everyone, no matter what they make. But I, of course, find it comical whenever someone thinks I can do better than that. Uh, meanwhile, they don't even know what screenplay format looks like and you know let alone why it's written that way i mean if you think you can make a better pilot than how i met your father you might be right but if you've never written anything before you're most certainly wrong Mm -hmm. um it's so hard to get all these things happening at the same time with subplots and to make it all fit in this 21 minute time frame uh, is kind of insane, which by the way, while reading this through this thread, uh, which I'll link in the comments, uh, I was really entertained that apparently there was a pilot shot back in 2014 that was called how I met your dad. And in the starring role was Greta Gerwig. Um, and you can actually go and watch this pilot. I'll link that in the show notes as well. And so I watched it last night and I was blown away. I mean, it wasn't like this incredible pilot, but I was blown away that Greta Gerwig was doing a, yeah. a sitcom and I'm really glad that ultimately that pilot failed because she's gone on to, to make some of my favorite movies. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that would have happened if she had been committed to, you know, six, seven seasons of a sitcom. Um, so mm-hmm. thank you, Greta Gerwig for giving us that, but also thank you, you know, for studios for not picking that show up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the, the, I mean, the other thing is it's art. So yeah. just because, you think you could do it better doesn't mean that it, that you did, you didn't do it. So Mm -hmm. you can sit there on the sidelines and say, I could do it better, but you didn't. And until you do, you know, you're, you're not really, you shouldn't say that shit. You know, it's like, it's ridiculous. I mean, I can sit there and I can say that internally, but saying it out loud to, you know, putting it on the internet is just, it's the dumbest thing ever because you have, if you have that in you, then why is it not out, right? Yeah. Somebody else mm. had the had the the ability to make something and then get it made, right? Find the money, find get the contacts at the studio, um, you know, push it through when it was about to get, can, get canned, you mm. know, like all of these things. Like they made that happen. So there's there's a lot more that goes into it than just making it a little, you know, you know, even just writing it, right? It's yeah. yeah, to get it made. So. Absolutely. And I guess my last thought is I, I recognize the irony of us saying this because, you know, there's a good third of the time when we'll talk about things we would have changed and done differently. Um, mm-hmm. but that's, that's part of the process. We're here to learn. We're we're here to voice our opinions on that stuff. But I don't yeah. think it, it ever means at the same time, like like you're saying, it does. it doesn't really mean that we think we can do all of this better. I think we're going to have mixed views on this movie and even within that, neither one of us is going to be like, I could have made this movie better. I couldn't have. <laughs> I, yeah. I honestly couldn't have. No. Um, and that's okay. It's one thing to recognize things that aren't working. It's another thing to say uh, that you're, you're the, you're the, you're the equal or better part of whoever you're critiquing. Those are two monstrously different ideas. Yeah. Agreed. Nice. Yeah. So today, uh, if you haven't, if you're not really sure what we're doing today, today we're covering Don't Look Up, the Netflix original. So if you haven't seen this movie, please pause the the episode and go watch it uh, again, streaming on Netflix. For sure. We'll talk about a few things. We'll look at some of the cinematography and editing, the use of detail shots. We'll also talk a little bit about the story and writing, uh, what's being critiqued here uh, and other such stuff and things and stuff. So a quick synopsis of the film. Two low-level astronomers must go on a giant media tour to warn mankind of an approaching comet that will destroy planet Earth. Directed by Adam McKay, screenplay by Adam McKay, cinematography by Linus Sandgren, starring Leonardo DiCaprio as Professor Randall Mindy, Jennifer Lawrence as Kate DiBiaschi, Meryl Streep as President Orlean, Kate Blanchett as Brie Avanti, Jonah Hill as Jason Orlean, and Mark Rylance as Peter Isherwell. I heard there's an asteroid or a comet or something that you don't like the looks of. <sighs> Tell me about it. You got 20 minutes. 20 minutes? Go. Uh, a comet between 5 to 10 kilometers across that we estimate came from the Oort cloud. And using Gauss's method of orbital determination and the average astrometric uncertainty of 0.04 whoa, 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 whoa. I'm so what? bored. Just tell us what it is. This, this Seriously, stop. 
what Dr. Mindy is trying to say is that there's a comet headed directly towards Earth. And then what happens? Like a tidal wave? It will be far more catastrophic. There will there will be mile high tsunamis. So how certain is this? There's 100 percent certainty of impact. Please don't say 100 percent. Can we just call it a potentially significant event? But it isn't potentially going to happen. 99.78 percent to be exact. Oh, great. Okay, so it's not 100%. I'm gonna call it 70% and let's just, let's move on. But it's not even close to 70%. Let's just use like 60% as a working number. Okay, we're gonna get our own scientists on this, you know, no offense. Dr. Mindy is a tenured professor of astronomy at Michigan State. I'm sorry, did you say Michigan State? Exactly, they have an excellent astronomy department. You say so. You want to see my SAT scores? I'm sorry. Who is she? Are you her son? I'm the chief of staff boy with the dragon tattoo, so I'm doing fine. How many tampons can you put in that bag? As many as I want. At this very moment, I say we sit tight and assess. Sit tight and assess. Sit tight and, and assess. You want us to sit tight. And then assess. So I think, I think... This movie isn't really about a comet hitting Earth. Oh, man. I think. Really? I didn't. I, oh, okay. It's okay. pretty subtle, but I want Okay, you're going to have to convince me, but. <laughs> With all that in mind or aside or whatever, um, yay or nay, did uh, this movie like yeah. hit you in the, the right spot? Yeah. For me, it's a big yay. Mm. Um, I, I loved everything about it and watched it multiple times had dreams about it it really hit me hard i absolutely loved everything about it even the stuff that i hated about it i loved about it because it it like really for me it was the definition of storytelling for me um because uh it used it used the medium to also make me feel so what i mean by that is I was incredibly frustrated the entire time in the film. The entire time. Uh, I was incredibly frustrated. Why aren't they listening? Why Why are people not taking this more seriously? Why is this movie two plus hours long? It's so long. And most of that is is frustrating. And they made it long on purpose. It's it's not supposed to be a 90-minute movie because that's not enough frustration for you. It's supposed mm. to be a two and a half hour movie to be to think for you to think, man, they could have shortened 45 minutes of this, you know, but it wouldn't have made it better. It would have made it worse to me. Mm. Um the point of it being so long was to to really be like beat you up, right? And I absolutely loved that. I loved the 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 parallels with bash with the president with the president's son with uh their frustration with the way that even Min, Doc, professor mindy his character changed and evolved and basically failed you know throughout the whole thing even though he was the one that was that was screaming from the rooftops in the beginning and how like you know some people like um kate decided to give up you know, just it was too much. She couldn't take it anymore, right? And so she then she's bagging groceries at the at the grocery store instead of, well, you know, not stopping to scream. And then it, it just, and then there was a cost at the end, which it, 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 the whole thing was so good to me that I had, I mean, I'm going to call it a nightmare, like nightmares for almost a week um, after the film. Just I kept dreaming about it happening. I kept dreaming about, and I think it's because I've, feel like in in ways that it is and not you know not just politically but also the climate and and you know the fact that we're arguing about that whether or not humans have any impact is like hilarious to me and uh, the point of this was to call that out to call out all of these things that are like in plain sight you know we can see them we can see them happening the you know politically and otherwise and uh, i think because i see i see them as well but i'm not screaming from the rooftops myself i feel like i'm part of the problem and that drew drug me in as as like a player in this film well if i'm a player in this film and the world ends well shit you know i'm i'm part of the problem and it it and i know that and i've known that for a while but it really like hit home for me and i just i love the the balance of seriousness and comedy lightheartedness i mean even it, even at the beginning it, i mean it's 
<clears throat> 11 plus minutes before we get to any credits or like the title and the way they present the title is even playful right where they have they have the title and then they we just see names of all the all the actors and then boom back into the movie and the music and the way that they 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 stop on the on her shot of her throwing up it just kind of like makes it lighthearted instead of so heavy all the time because that's the style you know that's the style of movie right because it needs to be that way because nobody's really taking it seriously i thought it was really really well written really well acted really well directed in the first place and then the cinematography is really great too to me because like especially in that first intro that first 10 minutes where they're all finding out they're so close on everyone I mean, all you see is their faces. It's like super, super close up to get their reactions in their eyes and in their mouth and and their cheekbones. And and um, you can you can just you can see it on you can see it within them, within the actors, not just on them because you're so close. And I loved that. I loved that. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a big win for me. Big win. Nice. Uh, yeah. Nightmares sound like a good win. Um. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if uh, if you want to be affected by film, that's yeah. uh, that's pretty. I, I I don't really remember any of my dreams. Mm. Unfortunately, I wish I did. Huh. But in these cases, I, I do. And it was that never, ever happens to me. So. I hadn't really thought about the runtime the way that you just described it. And so that's uh, that's really smart. And I think you're right. 90 minutes wouldn't have been long enough to to make the mark that they're trying to make. And they do want to leave an imprint, which they do. And you need more time. The close-ups I did notice, like I liked these sporadic close-ups, all these little detail shots intercutting, especially when they're in the Oval Office the first time during that scene that we played. Like they're adding all these strange close-ups that aren't telling you anything, right? Um, like the the detail shot of her running her fingers across uh, the folder or the picture or whatever she's holding in her hands. Um, then when she's like pulling out open drawers and we're seeing these quick inserts of that and then intercutting with, you know, what you were saying, the close up of someone's eyes or um, his mouth. And I love that they do that because it adds so much tension and stress because you're uncomfortably close and it's quick. Uh, it's imprecise. And they do a lot of that throughout the movie, right? There's all this imperfect camera work. Uh, I'm thinking about towards the end when we're in the uh, the NASA control room or wherever they are, the bash control room. And we're, we're realizing that this whole plan is failing and they start kind of moving, roaming the camera around, right? We're pulling focus kind of, you know, not precisely. And the camera's kind of looking for its subject. It just adds this level of real, realism um, that adds to the fear and uh, the, the emotional aspects of this. Because whenever you start doing those things, it adds a, a big touch of humanity, right? All these imperfections are very human. It's not robotic with its precision. And doing that, you know, uh, adds a lot of tension and like, oh my God, this is happening. And I love those little, this was beautifully shot. Overall though, I'm pretty mixed on, on it. Like for me, I saw this in a theater. I didn't realize this was an Adam McKay film um, until the credits opened. And I was like, oh man, here we go. Cause I'm pretty hot and cold on Adam McKay. I like most people. I really like Anchorman. I enjoyed Talladega Nights. Those also aren't movies I watch over and over again. I'm sure I can quote half of them because they're so quotable and most of your friends do that. But after that, like I hated Big Short. It's so, for me, condescending and smug. And so whenever I see his name come up on a movie about this topic, I'm just my, my, I get an edge on me. But then as the first few minutes unfolded, I was I was in. Um, it started pulling me in. That's what Jennifer Lawrence and Leonardo DiCaprio are going to do for you. That first big edit, whenever she's discovering the comet and she's seeing what it's doing and she's, uh, there's this tension, this fear, and they do this hard cut to like a party. That's mm -hmm. such a great edit. Like I was so happy with that because I was, for one, we didn't just jump to the conclusion, right? We have to discover it alongside them which helps you bring the audience along instead of just starting at a 10 start us at a one, like gradually show us what's happening the same way the characters are discovering it as well. And I think where my first big red flag kind of popped up was that little freeze frame that he does, right? The planetary defense council is a real place. This is their logo. And it's, 
And so from there, I was like, oh God, are we going to be this condescending asshole for the next two hours? And so my, I, he lost me a lot there. And it's just a weird thing to do because if you're not going to make that the tone of the film, don't bring that in because you just did something that you never did again. For the rest of the movie, we never had these asides, um, you know, where you're breaking the fourth wall. Don't do that. What a stupid mistake. But otherwise, everything that I loved revolved around Dibiaski and and Mindy. Like those two characters are so good because obviously they're the ones we're identifying with, right? We're we're on their side and we're frustrated alongside them, like you said, for uh, over two hours. Almost everything I. I hated I had to revolve around the, uh, uh, the president and her son, like 90% of their jokes fell flat for me. That whole, what is it? Oedipus complex that he's dealing with just felt like a very 2005 kind of humor. Like it was funny once upon a time, but it just was not funny at all. And with humor, there's kind of three things you can factor in the editing, the writing or the delivery. If you're casting Jonah Hill and Meryl Streep, I got to think the problems with the writing, like that's the, you casted the hell out of this movie and yeah, you're, you're kind of going through these very juvenile punchlines. I don't know, which is, it fits the tone, right? Where the whole thing is about lampooning the national conversation uh, about emergency, the climate crisis or what have you uh, and how we would approach and how in the, the analogy of this is what would happen, right? Where there's something impending and we're going about it. Like we're, we really only care about a few things, right? Celebs and whatever else. And so I was kind of back and forth throughout the whole movie. I certainly had all these moments where I was just gripped everything with those two main characters I was in and, and Rob Morgan. I, I don't think I wrote his name down. Um, so I don't know what character he played, but he's the, uh, the guy from the planetary defense council. Um, mm-hmm. All their interactions are great. They have so many uh, moments that just really do land. Uh, and I mean, almost nothing better than that end sequence, right? Where they're sitting at dinner, knowing they really did everything they possibly could. And ultimately it wasn't enough. And so they're having these conversations about trivial, small things. Yeah, I like my my, my coffee homemade. <laughs> I, I, I grind the beans. Oh, wow. Um, and I like store-bought versus homemade pie or whatever it is they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's that moment at the end where, you know, Professor Mendy says, we really did have everything, didn't we? If we think about it. And how tragic it is, I guess, to not just lose it all, but uh, the fact that you only worried about having everything instead of saving everything um is kind of the implication that i pulled out of that how did that scene hit you like you're into dinner do you you feel the tragedy or i guess what's going through your mind as you're watching that especially intercutting with the uh the botched peter teal whatever peter isherwell who i loved mark rylance in this i thought he was fantastic like he worked for me that character yeah really worked for me and so this, yeah this this the whole movie is like is a bit of a caricature mm-hmm. in in so many ways i mean even jonah hill's jokes you know with his mom and everything like that's you know uh the um that the whole donald trump and his daughter kind of situation and and so they're they just take those he's taking those things and he's like putting them in your face uncomfortably and it doesn't give a shit whether it works or not mm-hmm. uh, in a way. So I'm not, I don't forgive them. I agree with you. I agree that a lot of them fell flat, right? But I don't have a problem with them being in there just because it felt like, it felt, yeah, caricature-ish. And then when it gets to the end, you know, sitting in that table scene, I mean, I was like almost in tears. Not because the acting was great. It was. Not because the writing was great. It was. But because I felt like I was there. I felt like if I wasn't there, I'm going to be there, you know, if I don't do something and, or if I don't, but even if I do something, I'll still be there. It's almost inevitable, right? That's the way I felt Hmm. in that scene that this, where they are sitting right now, it's inevitable that I'm going to be sitting there with my family and how, and that, that's what affected me, that whole feeling of inevitability, which is 
I think they presented it as inevitable, even though the idea was supposed to be like, it is possible to change the outcome. That wasn't part of this movie. <laughs> it didn't feel like to me. It felt mm-hmm. like the message was, it's not possible to change the outcome. This is where you're going to end up at the dinner table with people that you care about as the shit happens. Right. And I don't think really physically, you know, like, you know, because they're sitting at dinner table happens instantaneously because of the comet. I think more so, you know, in the long run, uh, because since it's speaking to climate change, um, we're going to be sitting at the metaphorical dinner table together, wishing that we had, that something would have changed that, that, that we could have stopped this. It was very visceral for me, very Mm -hmm. visceral. And I, I think it was really smart that they did a comet so that it could happen like that. Right. Rather than over, because then it's, it's very dramatic if it happens over years. Right. You know, but if it's an impending momentary doom, it just feels really eventful that this is going to happen. And then we're going to experience it with the characters at, at that moment. And for the time and for time to slow down like that in that moment was such an impactful thing. (laughs) Just all the things around it too. D.B. Askey's response to Chalamet's, you want to spend more time together in the car? (laughs) was like, sure, why not? You know, was so great because why, why the hell not? You know, the world's going to end. And them to be sitting at the table and for Timothy Chalamet's character to have that prayer, you know, to give him that moment, to give yeah. his character that moment, a character whom we don't, we're not, we don't spend a lot of time with until the last 30 minutes of the movie. Well, maybe even less. Well, yeah, let's give him a reason for sitting at this table. You know, we even spend more time with his kids throughout the movie whom we don't, I thought, honestly, I thought the kids were great. The boys, because we don't spend a lot of time with them, but they feel so real. They don't feel like actors. They feel like it's just a family, partially because I don't know who they are acting wise, you know, like as actors, but also just because they're, I don't know. They just feel like very, Oh, Oh, they did something to dad's beard. Oh yeah. It looks good. You know, whatever. And then when, when um, Ariana Grande's character is like, you know, making up with her boyfriend or something and they get their alerts that my phone just, just purchased, just bought her song. Oh wait, it did it again. Like I didn't even tell it to, it was just very, they wrote those characters really well. I thought so, but they had a reason to sit, sit at the table. So why is Timothy Chalamet's character? Why does he have a reason? Well, they give him a reason with that prayer mm-hmm. and whether you believe in God or not, it doesn't yeah, even yeah. matter. It's just a, in a moment to give for him to have a reason to sit there. And it, so I just, it felt like the right people from this film being being in the right place at the right time, saying the right things in that final moment, which I think is so hard to do. So hard to do. How do you bring together eight people and only care about being with these people at the end of the world? Hmm. And then what do they say in that moment to make you to make to solidify it in your mind? Like, yeah, these are the people I want to be with right now. That is so man. That is so hard. That is so hard to write. It's hard to shoot. Uh, I mean, it's hard to act, but with these, with Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence, it's very easy. I mean, you just put them yeah. in a room. Yeah. It doesn't even matter who else is there. You just put them in a room and it's fine. But it's hard to write that. And it's hard to shoot that to be so effective. And I just thought that they fucking nailed it, man. They fucking nailed it. I was, I was riveted and I was destroyed when that happened. The first time I saw it. The second time I still was again. But especially that first time, man, I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to be anywhere else right now. It was so good. So. so good. I think you're absolutely right. And it works. You know, life itself is kind of absurd. Like the fact that we exist and that we live and then we we have all these experiences and then we die. Like it's and then it's over. None of it mattered it is it's all kind of absurd and a very, I don't know, nihilistic existential kind of lens. And so why not have the dinner be equally as absurd in terms of what does it matter what you talk about when you're about to die anyway? Might as well talk about whatever's top of mind and just be present with each other for, for just a few more moments. But in with that in mind, what would what's your dinner conversation look like? <laughs> yeah. During that moment. Are you asking me? What oh, my, I'm oh. asking. Yeah. Oh man. I, okay. So basically write that scene. Um, it, it probably something similar, Hmm. honestly, you know, that that's, I think it's a great example of somebody sitting down and thinking, let's be honest. What are you going to talk about? Are you just going to cry the whole time? You've already been crying for six months. Hmm. You know, you've already, you already knew this was going to happen. You you had a very good feeling this is going to happen. So you've already, 
you've already mourned yourself, the world. So what do you do? You talk about the things that you didn't really know mattered that that did. I I love coffee. I love grinding my beans. You know what? I'm just going to be honest. I like store-bought pie better. Why not? You know, I'm not just going to sit there in my last moments and think and think about, you know, what could I have done more? Like, no, it doesn't matter. That sort of shit doesn't matter. I think you probably would feel the same way. I mean, I will tell, I will sit there at the table and I will hold my family's hand and I will tell them how much I love them and thank you for giving, you know, making me so happy. And, and I hope that you were, I hope that I helped make you, your life better and, and, you know, cheers. And I mean, it's, it's emotional to even think about, to be honest, because it puts me in that, in a scenario that I, God damn it. I pray that I will never be in, but it puts it in the forefront. It brings it, it, this movie does such a good job for me of bringing it forward and, and, and making me ask those questions. That question right there that you just asked, what does my dinner table look, conversation look like? I, I hope it's the same. I hope it's, man, we really did have it all right. Cause then that reminds me of like all the things that I fucking have right now, right now it's, and right now and that right now is all I have. You know, and to not live in the past or the things that I could have done or should have done, not worry about, you know, all the things that I have to do. Just like be here now, but see see the future, but still be here now and 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 look around me and be thankful for what I have. It's it's yeah, it's really, really good. What about you? I don't think I can top what you just said. So <laughs> I, I I'm happy to move on. I don't know. I think I, I, I hope that would be probably, you know, be my conversation. I don't know. I, I do. And I think everyone in the theater assumed I, I certainly assumed there was no saving earth. Like I assume that probably from the opening scene, like, Oh, this movie ends in disaster or else what's the point of making this movie. If you were trying to make a movie to give a warning, you can't demonstrate, Oh, everything turned out okay at the last minute. No, no, you gotta, you gotta see things through and show this is what can happen if, if this is what you do. And so I, I definitely appreciated the follow through on that. Uh, I think there's a lot of other filmmakers who take a different approach, uh, but, but it's not the first time there's been a movies in the past analyzing like nuclear war and those kinds of things that show here's what happens when things get out of control. Um, and you, you don't take this kind of power seriously. Yeah. And so my conversation is probably, I don't know, telling knock knock jokes. I he's like, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. Uh I'm I'm more philosophical. I'm I'm sure I would probably, you know, want to discuss like what happens next or what happens down the road, you know, if Earth gets split in two, uh what what happens to Earth in, you know, a uh, hundred million years. I don't know. It's all interesting for sure. There is a, a a little story running through here that I that I thought was interesting. Uh, if we can dip into some of the story and writing a little bit more. And that's the story of shovels <laughs> did you notice the shovel story yeah <laughs> there's a scene whenever they spot in the sky for the first time uh comet dibioski which is hilarious uh there's a scene maybe a little bit before this where you're seeing this mom on the phone it's a commercial and she's discussing like i don't know about these jobs and then professor mindy steps in the frame and he starts talking trying to sway everyone's you know uh fears and and doubts and they they flash his credentials on the screen and part of it at the very bottom, it says, uh, you know, Professor Mindy, the discoverer of the Dibiaski comet, which is really funny because comets get named after their discoverer. This is a tradition. That's right. It's why we have Halley's Comet or whatever. Um, so the fact that they're crediting him with the comet that's named after someone else, uh, specifically, you know, in this case, a woman is pretty funny. And it's just one of those little details. And there's lots of little details uh, throughout the film. And the shovel story is one of them, right? Uh, and so they, for the first time, see the, the comet in the sky. And Professor Mindy gets out of his car, stops in the middle of the street, gets out of his car. In the background, in a window of a store, there's a, a big, huge poster on the window that says, Shovels, only $599.99. And so shovels are now going for 600 bucks. And then later on, during that concert of Ariana Grande, it's... You know, someone in the in, in the feed says, I'm looking, I need to buy a shovel for $5,000. <laughs> uh, and so the, yeah. you can see, you know, the, the shovel is kind of going up in price. And then at the very end of the movie, 
if you didn't notice, there's a shovel floating in space after the impact. Um, it, there's a bunch of space debris. Uh, we'll get to, we'll come back to that here in a minute, but there's a shovel kind of floating out there. And so it's the, the story of the shovel. And I think, you know, ultimately he's making a commentary about price gouging during times of emergency, right? So you have people who are thinking, I can't save us. I can't change the course of that comet, but I can try to dig and create some kind of shelter for me and my family or what have you. And so uh, in order to do that, right, you're probably not going to be able to afford, you know, a big cat bulldozer or whatever. Instead, buy a shovel and dig. And so as the price of shovels, you know, go up, you know, you're having a shortage. And so at a certain point, people start charging more. And I don't think that's a very good commentary about price gouging. If, you know, assuming that is the, the, the commentary, there's a whole line of econ economic argument about price gouging actually having a, a good effect about making sure resources go to those who actually need it instead of someone going and buying, oh, toilet paper is still only, you know, $2. I'm going to buy all the toilet paper. Well, now now they're going to be price gouging and if they sell it at all or whatever, there's a whole, and I'll see if I can dig up a good article about it. But I thought it was funny as a commentary goes, like there's something to be said for it. And there's a conversation around that for sure um, about times of emergency and pricing structures or what have you. But it also is a commentary about ineffective solutions to monumental problems, right? Uh, if a comet is coming to your city, <laughs> uh, there's probably not a hole deep enough uh, for you to dig. Uh, do you remember a few years ago when a, a comet hit the sun? Oh, vaguely. Yeah. Yeah. It went through the sun and kept going. I'll link that in the, art, in the show notes as well. Wait, what? A comet went through the sun. How is that possible? Exactly. You're not like, going to stop a comet, is my point. Through the sun? <laughs> through the sun. Google it right now. Like, go look it up. It's, it was, is not what scientists were anticipating. And so for a comet to have hit the sun and they were like, oh, we're wondering, you know, what it's going to look like on impact. And then it came out the other side and they were just like, what the F? And I think it probably goes back to where comets come from, which... I forget. I think they're probably a part of the Big Bang uh, remnants or something. I have no idea. Um, I forget. Those are one of those details that you probably know that I do not. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. The first thing that came up, I, I, I didn't know what to Google. So I just said comet went through the sun. And the first thing that came up was, was a title of an article. This dumbass comet just flew directly into the sun. <laughs> it's funny as shit. Not to share it. <laughs> Wait, what? I... Yeah. I I haven't, I can't find it. So if you, yeah, if you, I will look, but yeah, I'll see if I can dig it up. But the idea, you know, of using shovels to dig your way out of this problem, probably not going to work out well, but at the same time, I guess you got to feel like you got to do something. And so whatever, all good. Story-wise, it also feels like a, a critique, a good critique of governmental ineffectiveness and stupidity, right? Now, on the one hand, it's kind of lopsided if we can even use the word kind of but you know because it's so heavily geared towards conservatives you know you have all these red hat wearing people and the crowd at the end who look up into the sky oh hey they lied to us and and even jason orlean makes his comment after he gets hammered by you know beer bottles he's like you effing rednecks or whatever you're saying but at the same time they're not trying to hide it you know, I don't know if that's to their credit or not, but they're not. Uh, there's that scene and uh, they're doing this press junket for this movie, Total Devastation. And they're basically mocking even handedness, right? In this in this scene uh, where he's uh, talking about, oh, I'm tired of, you know, this side and that side arguing. We just need harmony or whatever. And so this film is not even remotely interested in being even handed um, as yeah. it's lambasting you know, Republicans and conservatism or what have you. And, you know, that's fine. If that's the story you want to tell, you know, you can tell it. I don't know if you're going to win over the people that you probably need to win over in order to have the results that you're wanting to have. This whole movie is about changing, you know, the the course of uh, the, the world. And so the idea that you're going to be able to do that very easily without the people that you're mocking 
probably deserves a, a circle back, <laughs> you know, if, if, if you want. There's also a really good critique of public awareness and the media landscape, right? We have DJ Cello and Vina, Arena, whatever her Ariana Grande's name is, and they break up, right? And they're making a point, right, that we're so fascinated in, about celebrity relationships. Well, I say we. Um, America at whole, which is us, um, and even a lot of the world, uh, you know, gets into this kind of stuff and always has been. I mean, that's been the story of the, the royal family, right? Who matter none. <laughs> like they, they matter so little in our day-to-day -day lives and yet there's still so much interest in them. All right, whatever, you know, we all got to entertain ourselves. And so I don't really hold that against people too much. There's a part of me that will never not hold that against people, but I really try to say it doesn't matter. Like I read fantasy books and it's not bringing us any more peace than, you know, watching Real Housewives. And so I get it. We all have our outlets. I just, I found the link. I just, oh, nice. Send it to you. Thank you, sir. And so, you know, and then of course the Daily Rip is a big uh, slap about media presentation uh, writ large, right? Where we're talking about these serious things in between, you know, really bad puns or whatever. Personally, I found that show really fun. I really enjoyed how careless and, I don't know, idiotic it all was. I thought that was mm -hmm. perfect. And I love Tyler Perry in these kinds of roles. He is such an interesting character for me or a human being for me because his movies, the stuff that he makes, I loathe. I, I hate it so much. I'm glad they exist for, you know, people who love that stuff. I hate it personally. And yet... Whenever I see him in some of these movies like Gone Girl, Here, I love him so much. I think he's such an incredible actor and delivers exactly what these roles call for. Um, he's perfect. Uh, and and so watching him and Kate Blanchett kind of riff on you know each other is just excellent. Uh, but ultimately, this whole idea of, you know, let's go to the media, let's get the word out. And it all fails to generate any public interest, right? They they tell everybody, hey, there's a catastrophe that's impending on X date. It's in the sky. Go grab a telescope. You can see it. Uh, and ultimately, no one cares. Like, it's, it's one of those things where, well, it's so far away. We don't even really know if it's out there. And which, of course, really well parallels the, the climate change disaster, what have you. Um, it's so far away. Why should we care? We don't really, you know, it doesn't matter until it's actually like an hour away from us. We're just probably not going to care too much, which I don't think is necessarily true. But that's the that's the, the the case that's being made, because if it wasn't true, people wouldn't watch this movie. Um, we wouldn't have so much interest. There's probably in some ways an incredible amount of anxiety and depression that we're instilling in our kids right now because you're effectively telling all these kids it's hopeless and we're doomed and so i would hate to be growing up as a little kid right now growing up under these forecasts of utter destruction man that's got to wreak havoc on people um yeah and so but that's again the the case the movie's making is it doesn't matter what you say people aren't listening uh, there's also a critique of the science community, which I thought was interesting, right? And it's not a heavy critique, but they're they're kind of critiquing the communication skills of the science community, right? Overcomplicating the issue. Uh, and you have this great moment when uh, Rob Morgan's character turns to Professor Mindy and says, hey, remember, you're just telling a story. Keep it simple. No math. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's all math. But it's all math. <laughs> and it's... Just trying to help scientists understand that or think about there is a time for the precision of science and even that conversation from the clip that we played earlier, right? Oh, so you're not, so it isn't a hundred percent. You said it was a hundred percent, but it's not. And it's like, it's 99.74%. Like as far as science goes, that's as close to a hundred percent as you're ever going to get. And yet all people hear is it's not a hundred percent. I think that's very real. That is very much uh, a perfect reflection of reality and the way people interpret. Um, and especially in America, I don't know how it works in other countries, but in America, we're, we're very Han Solo. Never tell me the odds. Like if you're saying there's a chance, then we'll, we'll survive on that 0.3 or 0.26% of a chance. Like that's all we need to know that we're going to make it. You know, America is very good. We are, um, United States is very good at our optimism. We're, we're champions in that, in that field. We're number one for better or worse. I don't know. I don't really have a strong opinion if it's good or bad. 
and then of course there's a, a pretty strong critique of capitalism running through this thing right the and i think to some small degree it's reflected in the general which i i like that whole bit of storyline oh my gosh i loved that that's <laughs> true he charges for the snacks oh that worked for me and i love how it just bothers the hell out of kate and even at the end of the movie she she's still thinking about him like i he's a general he's a three-star general he works at the pentagon like he's got the money what it's the power he gets off on the power and i think there's layers and levels that you can look at that especially if you wanted to apply like a capitalism lens charging for resources especially something like water what in the world um but but I think maybe even more, it's just, it's about the, the the fascination of power and the grab of power um, in the military industrial complex. I don't know. I think there's a million ways you can splice that. And maybe the most of which is it's a really good joke. Um, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe I, for, I like, I felt like for me, it was um, especially towards the end when she was still like harping on it. It was, it was trying, trying to say dude, just get over it right it's it's really i don't know the way that i received it was it's really not a big deal kate let it go you know it doesn't matter it's in the past you already gave him your money let it go it's over but she can't let it go and i think maybe it's maybe i got it that way because it's so me you know it's hard to let things go and and things that don't really matter but um just hitting home this thing that like you know you can't change it's just over and there's you've got more important things to deal with you know, kind of thing. but yeah you're right it could have just been a joke it could have just been a joke. i don't know it, yeah. it killed me i loved it this was by yeah. far the the funniest parts of the movie was uh just that and how yeah. stuck on that she was like you like you're saying and then as far as a critique of capitalism there's this moment when oh, i forgot his name tyler perry's character gosh I guess I should have added more names to the, the show notes. No, that's um, good. <laughs> you appreciate short yeah. list. But he he makes this comment about like, uh, I'm bu- I bought every bit of bash stock I, I could and, you know, whatever. And Kate Bree turns to him and says, uh, you're such a shameless capitalist, right? And so they're invoking this idea. They're tying together this idea of some of the things you're experiencing are linked with shameless capitalism. Right. You have the government's plan to destroy the comet. It's going off without a hitch. Right. They're well within their their range of they're at 81 percent after launch and everything's looking well. And then bash guy, Peter Isherwell, who I think is uh, inspired by Peter Thiel, um, he, he comes up and is like comes up with this whole other plan. And so the first plan is interrupted by a corporation's plan to monetize the disaster. Like, oh, we can make money off this disaster. So let's do that. Uh, which of course links back with the the shovel story, and then of course the rich and powerful have an escape ship, which is, you know, very nice to have if if a d- disaster is coming and you have your your emergency ejection ready to go, you know, then it doesn't hurt you to take chances, right? And so that's the uh, the discussion, right? If if the world is going to be flooded in a hundred years and you're rich, well, that means you can afford to right now go and buy all the land that's going to be safe a hundred years from now and the prime spots. And so uh, there's a lot of discussion around the use of money, the use of capitalism and the manipulation of government uh, and the responsibility of it uh, and, and all of this. And so interesting conversation after the space explosion, uh, the space, after the earth explosion in space, you know, we have one of the first things we see uh, is the phone app, the bash app, right? Is, uh, just kind of floating around in space, the shovel, of course, and the Merrill Lynch bull statue is floating around as well, right? This is all about, this is, they're pointing to the reasons for Earth's destruction. Um, and of course, we have a tree that's just floating around and that's kind of, I don't know, what's taking the brunt of it, right? The the Earth, trees, the climate, it's all uh, paying the cost for capitalism. Uh, at least that's the way I'm reading uh, the movie. And so, I don't know. I mean, I I have a lot of opinions on that. I will just leave it with, I'm trying to advocate what the movie is uh, aiming at. And so, one thing I, I, I liked was after the credits, kind of the, the first post-credit video, is 22,740 years later, right? The ship arrives at this habitable planet. It's filled with lobbyists and insiders. 
that's not interesting and neither is the the bronta rock or whatever the the little funny looking bird is what i found interesting was 22740 because that's named after an asteroid there's an asteroid named 22740 rayleigh uh, and it's an asteroid i think it floats around jupiter and it's 10 kilometers wide which is roughly the size of the asteroid or the comet that ends up hitting earth in the film and so i thought that it's a little detail i know it doesn't really add up to anything more interesting than an anecdote but i like it i like the thoughtfulness of let's not waste an opportunity to tell a little bit more story and so hold on i, I like it that's eh, that's basically all i have you didn't you didn't like the fact that he had pre- that bash predicted how she would die i thought that was mildly entertaining yeah that was entertaining yeah. <laughs> like she's she, <laughs> she's so <laughs> annoying the whole time and so frustrating yeah you know yeah and and that they're you know okay if this was an escaped escape plan for all the rich people right and they land on this this uh this world i mean all the brontoroks were all converging <laughs> on them so they never, they didn't escape. Right. They didn't actually end up escaping. So we get that as a viewer of like, of like satisfaction. Okay, yeah. A little bit of satisfaction. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't yeah. know. I, yeah, I liked that it wasn't over yet. Like you said, it was just a little bit more story. And uh, the idea that they were floating in space for 22,000 years <laughs> was like, oh my God, <laughs> crazy. And that they were all naked. Yeah. It was, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was. I'm I'm 99.97 for 0.78% sure that that was not Meryl, Meryl Streep's butt. But maybe maybe you never know. I maybe. I I did like that they <laughs> never get 100%. They, they all deplane or whatever de spaceship um yeah. and it's basically all old people so like humanity's dead. Like if you brought yeah. nothing but old people who are yeah, they're stupid. Past the reproductive <laughs> prime like this was a failed uh, and obviously the point being it's a very selfish uh, attempt at just self-preservation mm-hmm. instead of humanitarian preservation. Um, yeah. yeah. And so, and yeah. I, and I felt it, I felt it like when, when the ship gets to the planet and the pods shoot off a couple of pods bump into each other and then they fly off into space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you catch yeah, that? Yeah. Like I had a visceral feeling of like, Oh God, I would have rather died on earth, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh so terrible uh, anyway yeah well that's pretty much all i got man i don't know if you have any final thoughts on it before we get into recos no i i mean i think you said a, a lot of stuff that i agreed with too but i i just i just want to say again how much i absolutely loved this movie and how rewatchable it is to me just because i identify with a lot of it and maybe like you know to your point you know it it misses an opportunity to to make fun of both sides or maybe i'm just not seeing the side that is making fun of of the side i agree with um <laughs> if, it, if it is but i just love that it like i don't know i just love that it calls forward a lot of stuff that we are not or that society itself is not identifying as either problematic or something worth identifying in the first place and after this, I did some research into like the probability of uh, an asteroid, you know, like hitting the Earth because that is scary to. Me for, I don't know why. I don't understand why it's scary to me, but it really is. And the probability is pretty damn low. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very unlikely that that will happen, and that that will happen in in a span of time where we couldn't at least attempt to do something about it. But there there are divisions that are of, of the scientific community and of uh, government that actually look for this kind of thing, you know, that take it seriously. So I don't necessarily think that this situation would happen in real life. I hope not, but I I was afraid of it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I agree. And I think, you know, it's, it's always interesting because they come up with ideas like how could we deflect an asteroid? And some of these ideas are like, uh, that. That doesn't feel like a, a good plan. I mean, some of them are like solar cells, using solar cells to kind of, you know, help it drift. Uh, of course, the, there's always the idea that we could blow it up. But then even simple things like we don't necessarily, we can push it, right? We If we discover it's coming in hot and then 
you put something out that all you need to do is just nudge it. And if you have long enough, you know, to just guide it away, then you don't have to blow anything up, uh, hopefully, and you can change the trajectory, blah, blah, blah. So do you think we are more likely to get hit by a comet slash asteroid or a gamma ray burst from an exploding star? <laughs> oh, I don't, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Probably a gamma ray burst, right? I, I mean, they so. happen more yeah. often. And um, and you would never know. Like, it would kill us before you knew it was coming. True, true. And like Jupiter's orbit usually saves us from comets and asteroids and stuff like that. So yeah. that wouldn't happen with a gamma ray burst. That Jupiter wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't survive that either. Um, so yeah, I guess it would be that. Nice. I, I don't know. Were you impressed with ariana uh her singing like God, I, damn it i hated i hated her so much in this movie and that that's the worst part of the movie to me is that song and her the performance and the whole like concert shit like it was the worst part for me it was so bad uh but i think it was necessary and i think it moved the story forward so i I'm glad it's in there for the movie's sake, but God dang, man, it was it's the most painful four minutes of the movie for sure it's, for me. It's pretty rough. I like her. I guess I, I say I like her, but I only know one of her songs, which is uh, God is a Woman. It's, it's a jam. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, but yeah, that whole storyline of her and Kid Cudi, I hated it. Like, I and that's just my general disdain for I could not care less what's happening celebrities' lives. Yeah. And it makes it easier for me to watch movies because I'm sorry, but entertainment is filled with terrible people. And if you know every terrible thing they do, it makes it really hard to enjoy anything you consume. And so the less I know, the better for not only just good use of my time, but also my peace of mind while watching. I don't know. Don't look up. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So what are you going to recommend this week? I'm going to stick with. Uh, I mean, I guess a little bit of like the uh, apocalyptic feel, but go in a different direction. I'm going to recommend Pacific Rim. Ah. Um, I mean, if you know me, you know, I'm not like the biggest robot movie fan, but I just loved this movie. It was so much fun. And I thought it was really well done, even in the parts that are just not well done. And it, it was really entertaining. I, I, I am not afraid to say it. I really enjoyed it. And um, I think it's a it's a it's a fun movie to watch. A good, really good popcorn movie. Crap! I just realized my reco I've already recommended. Uh, I was oh. going to recommend "Wasted" by Byron Reese. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Apparently, I've I've done that already. <laughs> so yeah. I'm going to. Uh, crap! I forgot to make a list of backups, but uh, let me make sure I haven't. Nice. So generally, not a fan of Adam McKay, but there is one thing. I don't know how much he's responsible for it, but he's credited as the creator, I believe. And that's on HBO. There's a show called Succession. And it's absolutely fantastic. One of the best things on HBO. And it's about rich people and how terrible they are. It does it with a level of hilarious. It's a dark comedy. And so like the things that they're they're the jokes are dry. Kieran Culkin, uh, is absolutely incredible uh, everyone on there is fantastic um if if you have not seen succession on hbo i could not recommend it more it's fantastic and so cool. kudos to adam mckay whatever you did on that um well done i just the reason why i'm like putting an asterisk on that i guess is the humor is not his humor like i can see if he had done it it would have been much more like a royal tenenbaums farcical kind of thing um because yeah. that's his style of humor if you've watched anything he's ever done like this big short obviously the anchorman and talladega nights and whatever else are all very pound you in the face kind of humor and this is not this doesn't feel like there should be a laugh track and so i feel like he came up with the idea and he handed it off to someone else who evolved it into what it is now um and unfortunately i do not have that person's name in front of me, but regardless succession on HBO is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and so I could not recommend that more. Yeah. Anyway, 
So stay tuned for next week. We are going to be covering Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And we, yeah, I, I haven't watched that in a while. So I'm excited to, to take a peek and see, yeah. see how it holds up. I was a big fan of the book, Douglas Adams. Uh, he's such a odd, weird writer. But anytime you can get me back in space, I am there. And so nice if you're enjoying the show don't forget leave us a review subscribe um wherever you listen to our podcast and leave us a note if there's something you want us to talk about uh something you find interesting you know don't, don't hesitate to uh, uh let us know and so if you want to leave a comment on this episode you can do that at the slash don't look up no apostrophe and our quote of the day is from jack handy if trees could scream would we be so cavalier about cutting them down we might if they screamed all the time for no good reason. <laughs> it's, that's a really good quote because it goes right on par with the, the feeling of this movie. Yeah, because he has that Jack Handy quote at the very beginning. I was like, oh, man, this is a great excuse to pull Jack Handy in, which if you don't yeah. know who Jack Handy is, he's a fictional guy that they used to use in Saturday Night Live. I don't think they use Jack Handy quotes anymore, but it, they would just cut away from the, in the middle of the show to and now deep thoughts by jack handy um and he would say my favorite one growing up was i wish i had a kryptonite cross because then i could keep superman and dracula away like it's it's just such a silly like punch lines uh they're they're fantastic um yeah that's all i got that's great That's, that's awesome i don't have anything to add thank you guys so much for joining us i had a great time this week man uh, make sure to share us with your friends, subscribe, review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, like Wes said. And uh, join us next week uh, for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Until then, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch the movies. Mm-hmm.